Hello. Today we are going to read "Who Was Napoleon" by Jim Gigliotti. Who was Napoleon? One day, early in 1784, a heavy snowstorm covered the grounds of the military school for boys in Bren, France. There was so, was so much snow that the students couldn't get their usual exercise after class. But 14-year-old Napoleon Bonaparte had an idea: snowball fight. This being a military school, however, Napoleon wasn't thinking about any ordinary snowball fight. Instead, he wanted the boys to put to use what they had been learning in their classroom. They built forts and dug trenches. On Napoleon's orders, a snowball war began. It lasted two full weeks during the times that the boys weren't in class. Some days Napoleon commanded one side; some days he commanded the other. The snowball war wasn't entirely harmless. After a while, small rocks got mixed in with the hard ice. Those snowballs hurt, so the school put an end to it. Napoleon's first war was over. The teachers weren't happy about their students getting hurt, but they were happy to see Napoleon take charge. Ever since he had arrived at school four years earlier, he had been moody and quiet. He didn't have a lot of friends, but he seemed happy to lead the school's snowball battles. Little did the teachers know that Napoleon would go on to become one of the most famous military commanders in the history of the world. He would lead hundreds of thousands of men into battle, and with a combination of courage and strategy, he won most of the battles he fought. Napoleon went on to build a vast empire for France. At the height of his career, he ruled over more than seventy million people. To the French people, Napoleon was a good guy. To his enemies, he was not. Late in Napoleon's life, those same enemies defeated him and sent him to live on a tiny island. There, he had plenty of time to talk about his memories. "What a novel my life has been!" Napoleon exclaimed one day to the assistant who was writing it all down. Napoleon's life had it all: friends and enemies, politics and war, a love story, and so much more. And Napoleon himself, the main character, was famous, clever, and brave. But a novel is a made-up story. Napoleon lived it all for real. Chapter One: Island Beginnings. Napoleon Bonaparte's life began in Corsia, a small island in the Mediterranean Sea. Corsia is about fifty miles west of what is now Italy and one hundred miles southeast of France. For most, for almost five hundred years, Corsia had belonged to the Genoa, a city that is a part of Italy, but the Corsian people wanted to be free. They often fought with soldiers from Genoa. When the government of Genoa grew tired of the fighting, they sold the island to the French in 1768. That upset the Corsicans even more. They didn't believe they should be bought and sold, so they started fighting the French. But at that time, French was France was one of the most powerful nations in the world. It easily conquered the island. When Napoleon was born, a Jacu. Corsia on August fifteenth, seventeen sixty-nine, he automatically became a French citizen. But the influence of hundreds of years of Italian rule on Corsia didn't go away. Overnight, Napoleon, like most of the people on Corsia, spoke Italian. Napoleon's father, named Carlo, and his mother, named Letizia, even thought they helped Corsia fighting fight the French even before Napoleon's birth. His parents knew there was no use to keeping up the fight after the battle was lost. They grew their, to the respect of the new French government. 
Napoleon's father even changed his first name from Carlo to Charles because it sounded less Italian. He changed the family's last name from Bonaparte to Bonaparte because it sounded more French. Life was not easy on the island. Most of the people in Ajaku were craftsmen or fishermen. Charles was a lawyer, and Napoleon's family had more money than many in the town, but no one there was very rich. The Bonapartes lived in a nice house and had a couple of servants. They grew much of their food on their land. Their four-story home even had a mill downstairs that we used to grind flour for making bread. They had a vineyard to make wine and an olive grove to make olive oil. But the family had money to spend on only the basics, clothing for their children, and any food that couldn't be grown on their land. And there were many children to clothe and mouths to feed. Napoleon had four brothers and three sisters. Napoleon was the second oldest child. His older brother Joseph had been born in 1768. His brothers were Lucien, Louise, and Germain. Napoleon's sister were Elise, Paulina, and Caroline. Napoleon was the most woeful of the large group. He had a terrible temper, and he didn't always tell the truth. His family called him a troublemaker. Napoleon was never in serious trouble, though. Once in a while, he was punished for fighting, but even that didn't seem to be a big deal. After all, the grown-ups on Corsia had been fighting battles all their lives. Napoleon fit right in. Napoleon practiced fighting with a wooden sword. He and his friends in Ajaku would pretend to be soldiers. They set up battles that lasted all day long. Napoleon was always in charge of his side. When it was too dark to play outside anymore, they picked up the next day where they had left off. Some of the play battles lasted for days at a time. Days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into months. Napoleon loved playing war. When Napoleon was about five years old, he began going to school. Every day, his mother sent him off with some white bread for lunch, and every day on the way to school, he traded his bread to a French soldier for one of his daily rations. The white bread was soft and fresh. The soldier's round bread was hard milk, but Napoleon explained to his mother, If I'm going to be a soldier, I must get, in, I must get used to eating soldier's bread. In school, Napoleon was good at geography, and he was very good at math. Mostly, though, he loved reading about history. He wanted to know all he could about famous battles and military heroes, such as Alexander the Great. He dreamed of one day becoming a conquering hero just like Alexander. Alexander the Great Alexander III, who came to be called Alexander the Great, is sometimes considered the greatest military commander in history. He was the king of Macedonia, what is today northern and central Greece, from 336 to 323 BC. Though mil through military conquests, he built a huge empire that stretched from Greece to India. He ruled over territory covering some 2 million square miles. Alexander never lost a battle, even when he was greatly outnumbered by his opponents. Chapter 2. Birth of a Military Career In 1777, Charles Bonaparte sailed to France. Because of his family history and his position as a lawyer in Cor Corsia, he had become an important person in the island government. The leader of Corsia sent Charles to France to represent his country in the government there. Charles turned out to be good at politics, though he often worked for his personal gain. He once obtained government funding for a grove of mulberry trees he later made profit on. More importantly for Napoleon, Charles was able to arrange for scholarships to military school for his two oldest sons. One of the requirements for the scholarships was that the boys had to speak French. And so, in December 1778, nine-year-old Napoleon and his brother Joseph sailed to the French town of Autun. 
They spent several months at school there, learning the language. Joseph stayed to study at the priesthood in the Roman Catholic religion. Napoleon moved on to a military school in Brennan. Napoleon spent five years in Brennan. He learned how to build a fort, which came in handy for snowball fights, but he took much of his schoolwork was traditional. He took classes in math, Latin, history, geograph, and music. He was the best in his class at math. Napoleon sometimes helped his fellow students with their math in exchange for their help in subjects he wasn't as good at, such as Latin. But Napoleon didn't feel as if he fit in at Brennan. Many of the other kids picked on him. In part, it was because they considered him a foreigner. Even though he had learned to speak French, it was, a he- it was with a heavy Croatian Cur- accent. They made fun of the way he talked, and they bragged that the French had conquered his island. Mostly, though, it was because they came from a wealthy and influ- influential families in France, and Napoleon did not. Social status was very important in French society. Rich people, the upper class, didn't often associate with poor people, the lower class, and people with less money could not compete for best jobs or obtain the same rank in military as people from wealthy families. Napoleon felt like an outsider, and he was treated like one. The class system in France At the time of Napoleon's birth, France was a monarchy and was ruled by a king. After the king and queen who ranked above all, French society was divided into three class-called estates. The first estate was the Roman Catholic clergy, including bishops and cardinals. The second estate consisted of wealthy noble families, and the third estate included everyone else, peasants, shopkeepers, farmers, and more. Although the third estate was by far the largest group, the first and second estate had more influence with the king. Napoleon didn't like the class system in France. The attitudes of the other students at Brennan upset Napoleon. He didn't think their luxurious lifestyle could ever prepare them for being soldiers. Because Napoleon didn't have many friends at school, he kept to himself much of the time. He spent many hours reading in the school library and working hard at his studies. Napoleon worked so hard that in October 1784, he was selected to be part of a small group of five students who left Brennan. They were chosen to continue their military studies at the École Militaire in the famous city of Paris, France. This was a great honor. At the École Militaire, Napoleon felt like he was really in the army. He woke up each morning to the sound of a bugler. He wore fancy uniforms. Chapter 3, Changing Times He learned to march in formation, load a cannon, and read a map. Napoleon was only 15 when his father died in February 1785 from, from stomach cancer. Eight months later, Napoleon graduated from the École Militaire. It took him just over one year to complete studies that took most of the students two years, but his hard work had paid off. When Napoleon joined the French army in the city of Valence, he began his army career as an officer. His officer's salary helped support his entire family back in Corsia. Chapter 3 Changing Times Napoleon entered the army in November 1784 as an artillery lieutenant. Captain was the next step up for the latter. In those days, that was about as far as someone with Napoleon's upbringing could go. It didn't matter how good a soldier was at his job. The higher positions were given to people from upper class 
families. But things were changing fast in France. The French Revolution, which began in 1789, hoped to make it possible to earn a promotion by doing a good job. Napoleon had been in the military fewer than four years when the French Revolution started. Poor harvests and heavy taxes left many French peasants begging for food. They were frustrated and hungry. While members of the first and second estates lived in palaces and had plenty of food to eat, so did the third estate begin fighting for more, for more equal society. Their famous motto was liberty, equality, and fairness, and brotherhood. Those are the French words. Napoleon didn't pick sides in the early days of the French Revolution. He never did like this class system, but he was determined to stay out of the fight. He didn't want his career ruined by choosing the wrong side. He left the army and sailed back to Corsia. There he had organized the Corsia National Guard and began writing a history of the island, but the royalist leader of Corsia and Napoleon did not get along. Eventually, Napoleon and his family were sent away from their island home. For good. A French Revolution. The French Revolution began on July 14, 1789. That was the day a mob of citizens attacked a prison called the Bastille and freed the prisoners there. Over the next several years, the revolutionaries fiercely fought against wealthy citizens who were called loyal to the king. The revolutionaries were called Republicans. The king's supporters were called Royalists. There were far more Republicans than Royalists, and the Republicans won. They formed their own government and arrested King Louis XVI and his wife, Queen Marie Antoinette, and King Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette were both charged with treason and put to death in 1793. In June 1793, Napoleon sailed with his mother, three brothers, and three sisters to France. Joseph was already there. He would never again return to Garcia. He rejoined the French army. He was defending the new Republican government, which had taken power away from the king. They wanted to wanted an assembly of representatives elected by the people. While the French Revolution brought an end to King Louis XVI's raid, the trouble did not end there. The royalists continued to fight to bring back the monarchy. The wealthy nobles had always benefited from having a king rather than elected officials. But that led to Napoleon's first big moment on the battlefield. Late in 1793, the royalists got help from some pretty powerful friends who wanted them to regain power. Countries such as the Great, Great Britain, Spain, and the Dutch Republic saw what happened when people fought for change in France. They knew that if it happened there, it would happen in their countries too. So they joined together and soon were at war with France. They wanted to bring back the monarchy. And in 1793, the British Navy helped the Royalists take over the city of Toulon in southern France. Toulon was, an, was important because its harbor was a base for French ships. Napoleon was not far away from Toulon on an assignment for the army. When the officer in charge of the artillery at Toulon was injured in fighting, the Republicans sent for Napoleon. Some of the French leaders thought this, the situation in Toulon was hopeless. They didn't th think the city could be taken back from the powerful British Navy. But Napoleon had incredible confidence, confidence in his abilities. You tell me it is impossible, he liked to say. There is no such word in French. At Toulon, Napoleon sent his men 
into the countryside where many Republicans live. He told them to get whatever horses, men, and supplies they could find. When they came back, he attacked the fort the French royalists held. The injury Napoleon suffered bothered him for the rest of his life. But he thought during the fighting, Napoleon was wounded in his thigh by an enemy bayonet, a blade attached to the end of a long gun. Blood poured from the wound, but Napoleon wasn't about to be stopped. He kept fighting until the Republicans captured the fort. Then he turned his cannons on the British ships in the harbors. The cannonballs were too much for them. They left the harbor and headed back to Britain. The battle had been won. But he had thought it was a small price to pay for the glory he gained. After the victory, one official of the new government wrote to the Minister of War that Napoleon had plenty of knowledge and as much intelligence and courage. Napoleon certainly wasn't going to be argued with that glowing praise because nobody thought more highly of Napoleon than Napoleon. I promise you brilliant success, he wrote to the Minister of War. As you see, I've kept my word. He was promoted from captain all the way to brigadier general, skipping several ranks in between. Chapter 4. The Little Corporal Napoleon helped defend the new government of France, but the new Republican system was quickly replaced by an even newer one called the Directory. And because the Royalists were still putting up a fight, the Directory sent to Napoleon. They needed his experience and bravery. On October 5, 1795, the Royalists fought the Republicans in Paris, outnumbering them 6-1. to one. But Napoleon wasn't worried. He had clearly positioned dozens of cannons near the palace. He let the Royalists almost reach the steps of the palace, when they were very close, he gave the order to fire. Immediately, hundreds of royalists fell dead in the streets. It was a brutal attack. The directory was saved, but many Frenchmen were killed. The royalists called it a brutal massacre, but the directory called it heroic. Napoleon was promoted to full general. Several months later, he was put in charge of the French army in Italy. Napoleon's status as a hero made him welcome guests into Paris. Society. He received invitations to many fashionable parties, but he was never very comfortable attending them. He was quiet and awkward around women. Then, in late October 1793, he met Rose de Beauharnais. <laughs> she was the widow of a royal who had been executed during the French Revolution. Napoleon liked Rose, but he didn't like her name. He decided to call her Josephine instead. Josephine was pretty, and she was charming. Napoleon was in love. He wanted to get married. Josephine liked Napoleon well enough, but she wasn't quite sure she loved him. But at the end, but in the end, she married Napoleon. He was head over heels in love. It is not in my power to have a single thought which is not of thee. He wrote to her in one of many letters. Napoleon and Josephine were married on March 9, 1796. He was 26 years old. After the wedding, they spent only two days together before he went off to war. At the time... France was at war with several nations, including Austria and various Italian states. Napoleon marched his men into Italy. The com they combined Australian and Italian forces would have 63,000 soldiers, if only they could meet up in time. Napoleon was trying to prevent that from happening. His 38,000 men marched 30 miles a day to get to, to the Italian soldiers before the Austrians could catch up. His enemies marched only six or seven miles a day. The French defeated the Italians in the Piedmont region, then chased the Austrians to the city of Lodi, not far from Milan. Italy, 1794. During Napoleon's time, Italy was not a single country like it is today. 
It was made up of different kingdoms, republics, and duchies. A duchy is a territory ruled by a duke or duchess. Each region had its own government. Many included large cities that were centers for trading and business, such as Florence, Milan, Naples, Rome, and Venice. It was not until 1861 that Italy became a unified country. There, a single narrow bridge was all that stood between French and victory. The Austrians defended the bridge. There was only one thing to do, charge. At great risk, Napoleon's men took the bridge and won the battle. The men followed Napoleon's order at Lodi, even though they knew the odds were against them. They knew that Napoleon was very aggressive, but he wasn't careless. He only entered a battle believing he would win, so his men believed it too. Before every battle, Napoleon gave an inspiring speech to fire up his troops. He also rewarded them with gold and valuables he had took from his, de his defeated enemies. For many years, French troops had earned very little pay. Now they were being rewarded with riches. They were also given awards and medals for their services. Napoleon would personally go down the line of troops and praise or pat them on the shoulder. The soldiers felt as he was one of them, and in a way, he was. Napoleon believed he could do any job in the military, and sometimes he did. That included everything from making guns and gunpowder to teaching strategy. At Lodi, he aimed the cannons himself, a job usually done by a lower-level soldier. The men loved him for it. They called him Le Petit Corporal, which means Little Corporal. Little referring, referred to the lowly rank of Corporal. Even though he was their general, Napoleon didn't hesitate to take on any of the small chores the other soldiers did. Napoleon ate the same food as his men. His favorite meal before the battle was fried potatoes and onions. And on the battlefield, he wore an old gray overcoat instead of the colorful uniform of a general. But while his men saw Napoleon as one of them, he thought himself as above all the other humans. The victory at Lodi convinced him of this. From that moment, I foresaw what I might be, he later wrote. Already I felt the earth flee from beneath me, as if I were being carried into the sky. And that's the end there. We will begin with Chapter 5, Conquering Hero, next time. Thank you for watching slash listening. Adios, everyone.